As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 129 of Real Blend, a podcast that would never accept a Zoom invitation to a seance. My name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at Cinema Blend, and I am joined as always. Well, wait, before I get to the introductions, let me let you guys know uh, for episode highlights for episode 129. You guys should know this by now. This is what we do. We're going to do Joe Wright's uh, The Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams has finally found distribution, but not where you think it was supposed to go. Uh, We're going to be reviewing David Ayer's film, The Tax Collector. And then Amy Simitz is joining us to discuss her directorial film, She Dies Tomorrow. Gabe, directorial debut? Um, I think she did some shorts before this. I think it's her feature film debut. I will double check. Yes, She Dies Tomorrow. I want to quickly point out that we're recording this in, in full transparency uh, before we actually have sat down with uh, with Amy. And we, of course, use the hashtag if it happens. So uh, God forbid something uh, should go wrong tomorrow when we're going to sit down with her. Uh, there's a chance she might not be in the show, um, but but we expect to have her uh, as part of the show later on. And when I say we, I mean Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., sporting his Real Blend merch. Oh, Hi, Kevin, how are you? My dad made this. He did. Yes. That's my father. As fantastic gifts. And then uh, the other person in the third chair, Jake Hamilton, Fox 32 Chicago, sporting his a, a reason again to watch the YouTube uh, stream, his solo A Star Wars story. Now, you did you buy that or did they? No, they, it they only made one of those. Yeah. Uh, so it's solo. Yeah. Did you buy it? No, they gave it to me at the junket. They gave it to you at the junket? Yeah. You didn't give it back? <laughs> so uh, plugs. <laughs> yes. Oh, Gabe. Yes. This is Amy's second feature. She oh, directed a feature back in 2012 that looks like it went to South by, um, and she's done a bunch of TV and a few shorts. So Amy, people will know her from Upstream Color, and she was most recently in the Pet Cemetery uh, reboot. She played the wife and um, fantastic actress and a strong director. And we will talk to her about She Dies Tomorrow. So uh, plugs for everybody who's tuning in. Um, we have two 
great ways that people can interact with the show, interact with each other. Uh, there's a Facebook community page that people can go to. There's also a, a strong uh, subreddit, the Re uh, Real Blend subreddit that has 30 some odd uh members who have joined it and uh, they're starting new conversations on the regular. So I added Reddit to my phone as an app because I never really knew how to work Reddit. Reddit confuses me sometimes. It's got a lot of stuff going on and it's hard to sort of keep track of where people are posting and they seem very tech savvy. So I put it on my phone, but I'm able to go right to the Riblen page and see the conversations that they're starting. And so it's a great community that they're building there. Um, they are doing like weekly threads as well, too, like conversations about our blend games and stuff. You should really you guys should definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. Um, we have our own YouTube channel. That's another big thing that we've started recently. Real Blend has two, two of its own YouTube channels. One is just for the video streams of the full shows. One is called uh, YouTube Clips, and we're pulling out segments from the show uh, like the blend game and uh, conversations that we may be maybe getting into about topics on the show that are really intriguing to us. Of course, you can download all of us on an audio level, wherever you get your normal podcasts. And God, the, the plug section is I, getting I really long. I cannot keep track of this show anymore. I know. I just, I just show up once a week. Where can and we find the real show we do? This uh, one. Where, where is the actual show itself? It's here. This it's one. right, okay, it's right okay. here. Yeah. Wherever you get podcasts. I'm just kidding. Um, we have uh, a premium. A, pr a premium channel now. Uh, let's see. Uh, what does Gabe say about this? We have some exclusive Real Blend content as part of our brand new Real Blend premium subscription. Uh, these are going to be shows that we're going to record in addition to the main show. So you'll always get the main show for free, which is going to include our interviews and uh, the blend games and all that stuff. Like you're still going to get all that. But for people who want more Real Blend, who really enjoy the hosts, we're going to conduct these additional interviews uh, not interviews, but conversations between all of us. Last week, we had such a fun time going back over the origin of the show, uh, talking about how the four of us uh, came to meet and, and put this show together. And then for this week's uh, Real Blend premium episode for people who have taken the plunge and decided to join us on the other side, we are going to be discussing the Academy Awards from 1995, which is a has come up a lot on the show. It's the year that Forrest Gump beat... Um, for superior films in uh, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show, and Four Weddings and a Funeral, I think was the other one. So I'll have to double check. Oh, come on. That's better than Forrest Gump. So anyway, go if you want to sign up for the Real oh. Blend Premium Show, go to uh, bit.ly backslash Real Blend Premium to sign up. You'll get a bonus episode every Monday and a bi-weekly newsletter that I'm going to be writing filled with all sorts of fun entertainment. Okay, enough of me talking. Um, weekly poll. So... I forget whose idea was the weekly poll, but it was about Amy Adams. And it was if you could give her an Oscar because Amy Adams has been nominated a bunch of times, has never won an Oscar. Uh, which of her performances would you reward? And I'll tell you guys right off the bat. And then, Jake, you got to tell me which one you think came in second place. Oh, that's not fair. Arrival dominated. Yeah, that's what I mean. It what... wasn't even close. Arrival got 70 percent of the votes. Honestly, so, that would, it would have gotten more. Uh, and but and the funny thing is not even nominated. Like yeah. that's the performance of these four that yeah. I put down that she didn't even get a nomination for. And everybody thinks that she deserves the Oscar for it. And again, well-deserved. Like she was incredible in Arrival. It's a brilliant film. Uh, here are the other three that we gave people. I want you to tell me which one came in second. Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Mm -hmm. David O. Russell's The Fighter. Uh, and Doubt, and I forget who directed Doubt. 
I want to say, uh, I'm going to say the master. It was the fighter. And I was uh, surprised about that because the fighter to me stands out as like Christian Bale's movie and Mark Wahlberg's movie. Never and underestimate an accent. Yeah, no, I understand that. that so the fighter accent, got packing the cat in the yad. 17% for the fighter, 6.5% for doubt and 5.8% uh, for the master. Okay. I'm going to divert just for a second to focus on this and then we'll come back to Amy Adams. I watched the clip of, of baby Jake directing all these uh, or interviewing all these people. Jake, mm-hmm. tell them about the video that you posted on your Oh, it was just an old media. highlight reel. Um, I, the reason I, I sort of came across it was because uh, Kevin and I got to interview Seth Rogen earlier today. Oh yeah. And I was trying to think, I was like, what was the first time I got him? And it was for pineapple express. Yeah, he was paired with uh, uh, Franco. And so I was like, oh, I have video of that somewhere. Not the full interview, but like I did. I put together this highlight reel when I was a kid, uh, when I was like just starting out of like some of my bigger interviews. And I was like, I know it's somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And so I I went and and once I started watching that clip again, I was like, oh, this is kind of like with my with my oversized vests and my like my undone tie and my rolled up shirts. (laughs) Um, It just it just made me laugh. And so I thought so I I took it and put it on social media because I thought people would get a laugh out of it. It's a very curated look by you. Yeah. Yeah. But the reason I bring it up is because you had um, Viola Davis from yeah. Doubt in that package. Yeah. Is she also, the only one you got? No, I got Doubt? everybody. Meryl Streep's in that package, too, if you go back. and Because Meryl Streep's in the, in the package twice. Um, no, I got I didn't get Hoffman, um, okay. but, but I got Amy Adams, um, Meryl Streep, Viola Davis. I think, I think just those three. Did you guys ever get Hoffman? I, don't I got, Hoffman got Hoffman for the, in Toronto for the movie he directed. Kev, did you ever get him? Uh, no, the only time I ever saw Philip Seymour Hoffman in person was Lauren and I went and saw him on Broadway with Andrew Garfield and Death of a Salesman. Wow. And uh, one of the biggest regrets that we have is apparently because Lauren and I usually go out to the stage doors and we try and meet the actors. Apparently, I think he was one of the people who actually went out there and we didn't know at the time. Oh. I never got to meet him. And you guys know how I feel about him. I think Along Came Polly is the best performance he's ever given. I think it's brilliant but uh, he's given some amazing performances but i know people will go more dramatic i just think along came polly is like that perfect sweet spot of him as an actor i think but I so digress. anyway circle back to amy adams uh who absolutely gives four oscar worthy performances uh in the master of the fighter arrival and doubt and unfortunately we live in a world where she uh does not have an oscar we will discuss her next possible uh attempt at getting an oscar or some recognition from the awards uh, perspective on the other side of our interview. But before we get into the talking points of the week, let's throw a two hour interview with Amy Simons on behalf of her new film. She dies tomorrow. If it happens. So I would really like to start here in that. Uh, I think you are a fantastic actress and I've really loved everything that you've done up to this point. You've made some really excellent choices. Um, but so far you have not directed yourself. And I'm really curious if that's something you could ever see yourself doing where you would take a lead role in something that you direct as well. I've, I've done it before. I don't, I don't like it. (laughs) Um, I've done it before and the, and the, and they were very, they were directorial decisions for me to act in it. One of them being this short, uh, when we lived in Miami. And the reason I did that was because it was a a five-year-old little girl and I wanted her to be not not self-conscious. And so I felt like playing, I had to play her mother in order to direct her. You know, um, cause I just let her say whatever she wanted to say. It was the, it was like a five-year-old mumblecore movie. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put these on because is this, is this, this is a podcast, correct? Sorry. It is. Yeah. Yes. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so 
I, so I, so that was a directorial decision. And then in the girlfriend experience, I, I mean, I wasn't a lead character, but I played Riley's sister. Uh, and that was mostly because Riley and I just as human beings, when immediately we met, we're just like very sister-like, very, it was, it's very sweet. We have a very sweet like friendship. And so I was like, this is going to be hard to find, um, with, you know, casting. So I'll just play her sister. Um, you know, and, and hire myself on my own television show. But I, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really like it unless it, unless I feel like it's going to get a performance out of the other actor that I feel like I can get out of them by being in the scene. But I, I it's, it's much easier for me to even acting with like Riley or, or even acting with the five-year-old. It's like, I was constantly thinking like about directing and not mm -hmm. doing the best job I think I could do as an actor. That makes sure. sense. Thinking yeah. about what was happening in the scene too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amy, I'm interested in knowing like, you know, you, you've you been directed by a lot of directors uh, and I would imagine that when you're directed by a lot of different directors, you learn how you want to be treated as an actor, how what, what you want to be told as an actor in a scene. So what elements do you pull from your experiences of being directed that you then give to your actors so that they have an experience that you kind of like built throughout your career of like learning from these directors? Like what's something that you pull from them and that you push into your actors to make their environment as comfortable as possible? Uh, there's probably a lot more that I'm not conscious of, but I, but uh, you know, uh, I try not to, I try to make it, feel on set for everyone, whether you're a lead actor or like a day player, that there's no pressure, you know, like that even though, you know, your job is to perform these lines and whatever, but to sort of ignore, um, like understand that, like, especially with day players, that they're, they're, they're going to be anxious, you know, and there's, a, and honestly, having, having played, you know, supporting parts, it's, it's, it's a lot harder to jump onto a set that you don't know and have like a one line, you know, one line that you just blurt out in the middle of a scene than it is to like, uh, I'm not taking away from people that have monologues, but it's it's really, it's actually quite difficult because you, as much as, it, as often as I do it, there's still this sort of like, like this waiting game of like, my line's coming up, my line's coming up, my line's coming up, you know? <laughs> and then and you say it and like you, and you're trying to do it in the best way you can, but it, there's this feeling of like, oh, that's my turn, you know? Um, so, so I, I guess it's, it's sort of respecting that everyone has that and understanding that, but not, um, but allowing them to just sort of calm down and allowing the first take everyone to just feel like, to just like sink into the, to the scene as opposed to giving them too much direction at first so that like there's so many ideas in their head before they even have a chance to sort of sink into the scene, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, totally. I definitely want to bring up something that struck me about She Dies Tomorrow is that you're very comfortable um, not leaning on dialogue. There are long passages that are just, there's a lack of dialogue, you lean on music. Um, maybe because I was listening to it with headphones, some outstanding Foley work with just sounds of uh, water and glass, uh, a lot of props that carry you through. And I want to just have you uh, talk about your decision to let your visuals do a lot of the storytelling. Visuals and sound. Uh, the, and yeah, sound. I love, yeah. I I mean, you, I, I have the luxury not only to work with actors who can emote without, without saying anything. And I knew who I was going to be working with. So I knew that I could depend on them to, 
be telling the story without having to tell to say words. But in addition to that, it's like Jay Keitel I've known for, who's my cinematographer for like 17 years now. And we've worked together all that time. And, uh, and knew that he, he, like I can lean on him visually, but then also I knew that Mary Ellen Porto, who did my second season of uh, girlfriend experience as a sound designer. I knew that I could lean on her and that she was going to be doing sound design. You know, all of these things that, that, for a for a budget of of my size, you know, you, you, some sound and it's you, it's not really it's not very common that you can rely on such a high level of sound on on this on this level of budget. But mm. I knew that I could, and I knew that it was going to be amazing because Mary Ellen is amazing, and so and I I just I love. Uh, well, one of the things I love horror movies because of the sound design and because of the music. Um, and in addition, I could lean on the Mondo boys who, who also did my second season and their music is incredible. And so I, what I love about horror or playing around with horror is the sound design aspect um, of it. And um, even though there's no dialogue, it's like, it's so, I love feeling like atmosphere and sort of um, playing with, um, we did a lot of playing with, uh, sort of dropping sound floors out to make you feel stuff and then build, building them like rapidly up and then dropping them out. So even though there's no, you know, dialogue, it's still an emotional roller coaster through the sound design and then the visuals as well. You know, you speak about atmosphere. I love the, your use of color in the film. Uh, you, you, you go back to some of the, like Argento's Suspiria and the way he used color in that film. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about the thematics of your color choices and uh, specifically just the different designs, the way we see color in the film, uh, what you wanted those colors to kind of get across to your audiences and kind of how that became a visual storytelling tool for you as well. Sure, yeah. I mean, the the whole, what we wanted to reach visually and then even sound-wise was like these ecstatic moments, these ecstatic, like sort of overwhelming to the, to the eyes and to the, you know, and then also with the sound sort of vibrationally what's happening internally to the audience member to try to get you to a place that, that, that you could sort of feel what the, the character is experiencing. Mm. Um, so that not just that you are experiencing what it feels like to reach this ecstatic sort of moment, which would be, you know, a mix of euphoria and fear and, and um, excitement and, curiosity and, and and like everything all at once uh basically because uh, you know i've read a lot about near-death experiences and sort of what they theoretically think the body does and what the experience of near-death experiences are um that like the body's being flooded with all of these hormones right that your mm. body's being um you know you've got serotonin and, and you know uh, cortisol and all all of these things just flooding your body all at once and the closest i could get to that was just like overwhelming colors and uh and and sound in a way um just the, the the color scheme though like what, what jay and i were playing with is is is, is juxtaposing that ex, these ecstatic vibrant uh you know almost dmt like experiences yeah. uh to um and that's another thing that's flooding your body when you die is, is dmt then you're in your uh perineal is that the the name i always 
You tell us. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Does that sound like a real thing? It sounds I like a real thing. Sometimes I say words and I'm like, I read it, but I realize I've never said it out loud. Do you <laughs> no, know what I mean? Okay. Like I read I it and then I understand. Yeah. And then when I go to say it, I'm like, I don't. Oh, I did. If I did that. Um, but uh, the anyhow, the, to to reach those. But then we also wanted to juxtapose that um, experience with, um, with the, the, those colors and the, the vibrancy of those colors with uh, that, um, that I've heard DMT <laughs> <laughs> heard, yeah, heard DMT gives you, um, and that, uh, it, it, but, but juxtapose that with, with a, a, a mundaneness and sort of like a, a much more sort of calm, Mm. a color palette when when we pop out to reality and see like what it actually looks like you know also just the vibrant technicolor aspect of it too like to me it brought me back to like films of the 50s you know that where you don't see people experimenting with those bold colors that often so maybe it's just hard to to film them or hard to capture them with cinematography i'm not quite sure yeah it's it's hard it also can you know, with, with, I trust Jay so much, and with, with this film, and then and and so also Mary Ellen, but um, and everyone involved in the film. But it, but like this is the kind of film when we were making it where Jay would say, "Is this too far?" And I'd go, "No, let's keep like pushing." You know, like <laughs> like and, and but it can. I understand. I understand what you're saying. But but Jay and I, we a lot of the stuff that we shot early on was all on film. So Jay has this like unbelievable. Um, you know, not knowledge of not just shooting on film, including we actually did use Technicolor uh, in certain parts of Sun Don't Shine for some of the um, some of the sunset shots and some of the stuff we were filming mermaids. Uh, we used Technicolor, and um, and then so he has this amazing base in like in actually understanding every single you know kind of film there is and what the effects are, but also he knows how to translate that into the digital into the camera. Mm. Um, so, so I, you know, what, what, what could be really tacky and look really bad, you know, I trusted Jay would like, you know, that he knew more than me. Always hire people that know more than you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've been mentioning all these names and I think it's fantastic. The collaborative nature of of the environment, you know, this whole process that you were able to go through. Um, It struck me when I saw Adam pop up, uh, Adam Wingard in in a scene and I was like, oh my God, I love your next. And it brought me right back to being at South by and seeing that as a midnight film and just, you know, the immersion of that. But I want you to be able to talk to because of the the, the ability of people that you've been able to work with over the years, whether it's Soderbergh or or even Ridley Scott or uh, Adam um, how collaborative uh, the film community is and all the things that you've sort of pulled from them over the years that you find yourself applying uh, now when you're, you know, getting deeper into features and, and experimenting with different things like that. Um, I, I mean, that's the, the, the Soderbergh included, Adam included, you know, Joe Swanberg, um, Chris Ray, who also has a movie out that I'm plugging. She was on our here. show. Oh, and, uh, I love her so. Yeah, we, we did a joint she, interview. Yeah. She's like one of my best friends. Oh yeah, <laughs> we had her. We had her on the podcast. She's already oh, yeah. awesome. she was on a couple months ago. Yeah, I love her so much. Um, and 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 again, these are my friends. So when I say that, when I'm naming and Josephine Decker, and you know who also has worked with Adam and Joe, and and uh, there is these are my these are my friends. One, but also there is there, you know. Soderbergh and 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 everyone that I've worked with, there is there's there's just this sort of spirit of DIY spirit of 
if you can't, if like somebody's not making your stuff, then you just do it yourself, mm. you know? And I think, and it's really, a lot of people say they have it, but then there's people that actually do it, you know, mm. Mm. like um, you, and, and I say this knowing that it was years of me being incredibly poor <laughs> and, and, and volunteer, basically volunteering to just make stuff with people and I, I say this and I say incredibly poor, but I don't want to romanticize it because I remember um, uh, back in the day, my boyfriend was like, can we go eat something? But I didn't have money. And I remember snapping at him and going, can't you just go to bed hungry? Like, like I was so like angry at the idea of eating because I was just like, I can't afford it. Like I have to make movies, um, but that's not a healthy way to be. By the I was way. gonna say, do you encourage this? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I my credit was terrible. I mean, I I basically everything became about how do I make movies. Like I I got I was like, you can get free money, and people are like, credit cards aren't free money. Um, <laughs> I was like, you can get free money to make movies on these things. Like, and then people were like, you have to pay it back, and I was like, I don't understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh but but yeah it's it, it i mean you know the whole what's really beautiful for me and with 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 this film in particular is is like everyone that's in it in some capacity i've worked with and there's so much love in it for me even though it's extremely dark it's like it was really it was so easy to explore this sort of strange uh strange idea with people that I trust and love, you know, mm-hmm. like Adam Wingard or um, even at the end of the movie, James Benning, who's an experimental filmmaker. I've worked with him before. And, you know, it was, it was basically, I don't know if you can tell because <laughs> obviously the lead character's name is Amy. It's a very meta movie for me. You know, it's a very uh, meta and, and it, it feels like the entire cast and even the crew was 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 some aspect of me personally yeah you know. amy um i'm very interested in asking this and this is probably a ridiculous question but i've always wanted to ask a director this how do you achieve what is the setup when you're trying to get someone to have a close-up single tear drop like uh, like in the sense of like you're are you just setting a camera up and then having the person just do that over and over and over again? Do they, is it something they can do on command, like an actor can do on command like that? Or how do you achieve or direct that kind of a moment in a film? You just cast Caitlin Shield. <laughs> yeah. Is that easy? But, um, <laughs> or Jane Adams? Like you just cast brilliant people. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I gotta be honest, like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's funny because Jane does it, does it really well. Kate does it really well. Um, I will say I can do it too. Um, but, but it's, it's, uh, yeah, you just, you just cast. I, I, I what do you say also- to somebody to get them there? Like, 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 what, what are you like, like, do, what do you, like, for example, since you said you can do it, I'm not going to ask you to do it, obviously, but like, what, like, what do you have to do as an actor to go there to achieve that moment? It's such an interesting thing to me. Um, um, I don't know what they do, but, um, but well, one, like, I, I, I also don't expect them to do it. I, I want them to do whatever in the performance in the moment feels like the right thing, you know? Mm. Um, I don't want them to ever, cause, cause one of the things that, that like, if you, one of the things in acting or, or in real life in general is like, people don't try to cry. Right. It just, 
happens, right? And you actually try to resist crying. So like if I tell, I, I found as an actor, it, it, like if somebody's like, I really need you to cry, it becomes incredibly difficult, you know? And, there, and, and so, and also it becomes very forced because you're just thinking I'm gonna cry as opposed to just allowing whatever feelings rise up and then maybe something happens. So like the, it's, it's, it's less so trying to get like a single teardrop and it's, a, it's more about allowing the space for the actor to feel whatever feels correct in the moment, you know? And, and, and um, <laughs> I was gonna say, technically speaking, uh, one of the ways that you do that is just you and you like are technically speaking what I do is I just like I get really I tense my body up I make sure before the take that I don't blink and I just fixate on something I'm doing it right now and like you and then and right before the take goes I just release it like I just like do a deep breath and release everything and it just inevitably I just wow. start crying Wow. I mean, not emotionally, but I, it, like, there's a psychosomatic thing that happens, right? So, like, you just, like, release, or this is my technique, by the way, hmm. and release, and then, and then your body, because you start te tearing, and you, if you allow it to come, you know, then, like, your body's, like, I'm upset, <laughs> you know, and then it's easy to sort of roll with it. And then I also find that like the more you try to stop the crying, the more it comes like your body, it's, it's an, it's a really strange thing that, um, I don't know. I, everyone has a different technique. I will, I wait, speaking of crying, can I just share this real quick? And speaking of, of um, the beautiful collaborative, it, uh, my, my production designer, Ariel Vida, she, I, I might cry talking about this. She just came by this morning and dropped off the most thoughtful present that I've ever received. And she is the sweetest person. And she, she's like, she, she thinks about every, anyways, she, she's like, oh, it's just something that I made for you. And it's this, it's, this is in the movie. So this is this, the, the, the plates that Jane has where she takes oh. them out and she looks. And so it's these little glass plates and she went in I don't know if you can see it, but there are little stills from behind the scenes. Oh, the clapboard. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, like, I see that. there's like, there's that, but there's, but there's do dozens. Oh, wait, there's dozens of them, oh and it's gosh. all just behind the scene. Like this is Tune Day's face. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and Tune Day um, yeah, has a single, single tear moment too. Yes, Day has exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Tune Day. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> got a single tear moment in the movie. <laughs> But see, it's so valuable that you as an actress knows that there's a process to it. Cool. So as a director, you know to help your cast get through that. You know, whereas there are certain directors who maybe have never acted before, they might not even know the, the process you have to go through or how difficult it might be to get to that. I think that that makes your insights into your filmmaking so valuable. Yeah, well, it's just trust. Do you know what I mean? I find that like, it's like, it, like it's like, it's like uh, in any job, if you have a boss that's micromanaging you, it's impossible to do your job. Mm. You know what I mean? And so like, but like I always flourish and this is outside of film. I, or I always flourished in, in jobs or I guess, I guess I could say this because Steven did the same thing with me on girlfriend experience is like, he's just like, do your job. I respect you. You're smart. And like, whatever. And it's the same, it's the same thing with people that I, that with, with the actors and the same thing with cinematography and all this is like, uh, I hired you because I respect you. So do take a, take as much space as you you need to do right. your job. And I'm not going to sit there and like 
tell you exactly moment to the, I'm not going to go in and get to get the single tier moment and be like, this is what I do, you know, like, <laughs> like lead them through an exercise. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we're going to run out of time, Amy. So we're going to have to say goodbye. Um, okay. But thank you so much for joining us on the show. We yeah. really appreciate your time. Of course. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. And thank you for showing us that gift. That was really cool to see that. Isn't it? That I cried. So no, I, that's what I was saying. I, I cried. I burst into tears when she gave it to me because it was so thoughtful. I mean, it's, it's, it's really something cool. like 36 slides. So it's amazing. Well, Amy, thank you so much. Though, yeah. Of that special that's, experience. That's yeah. that's so outstanding. Thank yeah. you for sharing that with us. Of course. Us. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye now. Take care. Thanks. Obviously, we want to thank Amy Simons for coming by and spending some time on the Real Blend podcast. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now, let's move on to Amy Adams, uh, who we were discussing because of this week's poll and a film that she has coming out that has a lot of potential and is one of those directors who, back in the day, I really followed everything that they did, which is Joe Wright. So Amy Adams is doing a film with Joe Wright. It's called The The Woman in the Window, and it's going to go to Netflix, according to IndieWire. Uh, It was a Disney Fox property. Uh, Fans of the of the project that we're looking forward to seeing what these two are going to do together were kind of left in a limbo because after Disney acquired Fox, they weren't quite sure what was going to happen with this film. And now Netflix is picking it up, which could mean it reaches theaters by the end of the year. Um, So we'll find out what's going to happen with that. I I feel like I'm losing a little bit of faith in Joe Wright. I loved Joe Wright right off the bat with um, Atonement and his version of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, I liked Hannah a lot. I yeah. loved his Anna Karenina. Yeah. Um, 
I didn't love Darkest Hour. I think you guys both like Darkest Hour more than I, I did. liked it, but didn't love it. I felt like it was more of a vehicle for Gary Oldman to kind of chew the scenery a little bit. It, it felt more like Gary Oldman's movie than Joe Wright's movie. Okay. Um, but no, I, I think more often than not, I like his stuff. Um, even even whenever I'm not a fan, it's still like I don't dislike like the soloist. I don't dislike the soloist, right, but like right. I'd put it in the weaker like. But if that's like one of his weaker movies, then that's still a pretty damn good filmography. Well, and the one that I mean, really Joe Wright's Dunkirk mm, moment me... is amazing. What's his Dunkirk moment? Oh, I, 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 well, I thought Darkest I was cutting you off. Sorry. No, oh. no. Well, you know, he had another Dunkirk moment in um, Atonement. The whole beach oh, scene in Atonement. Oh, gotcha. Yes. And don't, they, don't they touch on Dunkirk in Darkest Hour? Probably. Isn't it's isn't, isn't isn't I feel like I remember there being like there a is. there was a joke that you could cut together Dunkirk and Darkest Hour, Darkest Hour yeah. and Atonement, like to make like a Dunkirk. But the yeah, seven minute right. one or an Atonement is on the Dunkirk Great. Beach. It's a masterpiece. I don't, I don't think I realized that that was the Dunkirk Beach. Yeah, because it's been Amazing. forever since I've seen Atonement. That feels like another picture that I really want to revisit too, because I love Joe Wright back in this. So um, I loved Joe Wright so much at the time that I got an invitation to go to the set of Pan in London, and you had to leave right from. San Diego Comic-Con um, in order to get there for like the Monday after all that ended. And I said to my cinema man bosses, I was like, I really want to go. They were like, you're crazy. Like we're going to do Comic-Con for four straight days. And then you're going to get on a plane and go to London. But it was amazing. I mean, like he built practical pirate ships wow. and um, he had an entire soundstage that was built for Neverland. Um, and if you remember, there was a scene with like trampolines where uh, Rooney Mara and all the Lost Boys were bouncing around on trampolines. Like, that was all practical. Everything was there. He was so excited to walk us around through Neverland. And then we got to watch Hugh Jackman as a pirate, like, on a ship, like, doing these, like, sword fighting type things. It was it was pretty amazing. It was worth going. But I, I just feel like I've lost a little bit of touch in what Joe Wright's trying to do. So um, I hope that this movie will bring us back around. Do you guys know anything about it? Do you know anything about what? I saw. I remember seeing the trailer thinking, like, it, it looks like the kind of story... That would be a book that's sold at the airport. Okay, you know what I mean. Like, like there's, I feel like there's a very specific type of book that's sold at bookstores and airports, like quick yeah. paperback mysteries that you can fly through while you're stuck on a plane. Well, and this strikes the... me as that. I'm pretty sure, isn't it based on a book? And it, sure it was it probably is. sold at an airport. Yeah, what Lauren the has Emily, the book upstairs. What was the Emily Blunt one too? That also Girl reminded the me. Also, of... yeah, yeah, Girl, which also like <laughs> was was sort of to me like they all kind of fit under this umbrella of like the kind of like oh like I need to kill three hours on a plane. I'm going to pick up this this quick mystery yeah well i'm gonna give joe wright and amy adams a little bit more credit than that and hopefully they're able to pull something together so netflix sweeps in uh grabs that for distribution according to IndieWire. and i man i don't know just with the way that this award season is going to shake out um it's going to be really interesting to see the next few months like how things play out in terms of streaming things are are readily available uh if we get back into theaters like it was interesting to have be part of a Dune conversation uh, recently where they talked about the fact that they're still aiming for Christmas. Like Denis is trying to finish in time for Christmas. They're staying optimistic in terms of that. So are they working from home? Uh, yes. Uh, well, they're work. There's homes in Los Angeles and. Because um, uh, it's done filming. Yes. Yes. It's done filming. He wanted to go back and do some reshoots. Uh, there's certain things he wanted to pick up. And I think Oscar Isaac was discussing in an interview part of his beard that he had to grow back because mm. it had to be a certain length in order to match the reshoot parts. And so he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do it in time. 
Gabe is asking, do you have any expectations with all these festivals starting to release their slates, how that will change the award season? So, so far right now, nothing that's been announced for Toronto or New York. The one that stood out to me was Regina King's movie, One Night in Miami. Yeah, which Amazon bought? Yes, and is about, um, it's Muhammad Ali and it's... Malcolm X. Malcolm X, all, and they're all together in one spot? Yeah. Like a true event? Yeah, it was like, like one night that they all hung out together. Sounds intriguing. Yeah. Um, great and this premise. other Netflix one with Amy Adams feels like one that would go the fest- the festival circuit if uh, yeah if there was going to be a festival circuit of any kind. It didn't it do that last year though because it it's been held since last fall I think. Oh, was it really? So did it go? Did it go through the festival circuit? No, 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 nobody saw no? this one yet. Really? Okay. Not yet. So I don't know. That's a good question, Gabe. I have no idea. So that's the main talking point, but it's a project that we will definitely keep our eyes on as we're moving forward. So we wanted to keep a bulk of this show uh, reserved for this week in movies, because there's a lot of stuff all of a sudden that's coming to streaming. And the boys have had an opportunity to do a couple of really cool interviews. And we're catching up with a couple of movies that have been around for a while, including um, I used to go here, which you can go back and listen to our interview with Chris Ray based on it um the floor is jake's to start off with because kevin did you see the host yet did you see host um i have a streaming link for it and i know it's short uh yeah. jake you were losing it's, your mind over oh this. I, I watched it two nights in a row i watched it by myself saturday night and then turned around and told my girlfriend like like we when we get like when we get home we have to watch this uh it's absolutely fantastic it's 56 minutes long it's available um, on shutter on the the streaming app shutter uh which is like a horror app and basically, it is. Uh, it's. It was filmed during quarantine, so it's really probably the first. I don't know if you will call it major. I think. I think it's picking up steam. But I'd say like the first major movie that's come out that not only was shot during quarantine, but like is sort of about the world. You know, like they they reference the fact that like they can't go anywhere, and one of the girls coughs, and everyone's like, "Oh no, you can't cough, can't?" You know, like it's very much references the fact that everyone's stuck at home, and it's this group of five girls that decide that they um, are going to participate in a seance. And then things just kind of start happening. Um, I turned out the lights. I waited till it got dark. Really kind of immersed myself in what the theatrical experience would have been like. Because I feel like with horror, you really need to do that. And I, could, I was legit. So much so that there were moments where I would have to like pause it. Just to kind of like, like, get, like kind of just get my stuff together. Like I think it was 56 minutes. I think it probably took me 70 minutes to actually finish it. Because I kept having to pause it just to kind of be like... <gasps> Really? Like, it was actually legit scary. And then I watched it with, I told you with my girlfriend Amanda last night, and she hit me multiple, like, why are you making me watch that? Like, like she, it scared her. Um, and so, yeah, I, I am, I'm super into it. I loved, like, you know, it couldn't have cost that much money, but there's some real shots in there where I went like, how did they do that? I mean, the whole thing also takes place uh, through a Zoom session. And uh, I, I tweeted about it late Saturday night. Uh, woke up Sunday morning to find that a majority of the cast had started following on me on social media. So I just reached out to him. I was like, Hey, like, can I talk to you guys? Cause I, I, I feel like this thing's about to blow. And, and even like today, especially I've been seeing people start talking about it. New York times gave it a great review. A couple mm-hmm. of people that we all follow from the film Twitter or Twitter world have been, uh, going nuts about it. So if you get the chance, I don't want to like endorse watching it this way, but shutter offers a seven day free trial. Okay. So if you really want to watch it, but like don't want to necessarily like pay for the try, like sign up for Shutter, watch it, watch it a couple of times, and then just cancel the free subscription. See, because I'm out of the loop, I don't even know how to get Shutter. Like, you, it's, like, an app? It, it's an app, like you would any other streaming service. Okay, but you don't need a subscription. Oh, you do need a subscription. Well, yeah, you but... sign up for it and then just cancel it when it, like before okay. like the seven days is up. 
Okay, so uh, Jake recommends that you cancel Shutter after you've watched. This. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I got enough apps. I don't need to pay six bucks a month for something I'm not. I'm not going to use. All right, I'm going to throw it to Kevin then to break the tie on um, American Pickle. Kevin, how'd you feel about an American Pickle? Um, it was interesting. Uh, it was one of those movies where uh, I thought the premise was interesting as the film kind of expands. I, I, I thought it was a little much. It was a lot darker than I expected it to be. Mm. Uh, I was uh, I was really I, I don't know. I went into it with the idea. The bit of the movie is really funny. But then as the film progressed, I I couldn't get over questions I was having about what went down. Um, and here's what I'll say there. The trailer tells you this. Seth Rogen's character falls into the, you know, the pickle juice and the brine. And, you know, he's preserved for 100 years. Why did they leave his body in there for 100 years? Was the first question I was wondering. <laughs> Right, um, right. Which is because never... he falls in in front of a lot of people, right? Yes, but why? And then they, they, well, then they shut him... the they shut the factory yeah, down, like, like yeah, within an hour. Yeah, <laughs> right. Which but see, here's silly. the thing: I'm not trying to be that persnickety guy who watches a movie. No, I'm goes, with you though. I, I'm, I'm with you. There's yeah. certain logic that I can't. I, yes, thank you. Know you. I mean? Thank you. And, I, I, that's. It, 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 oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you no, off. But no, no, I agree. I agree with you 100. And I think you can do that without being like the nitpicky film critic. Right. I agree with you a thousand percent. That was the whole thing. Like Lauren and I were watching it. We're like, why are they glossing over these very important pieces of information? I mean, like, sure. like here's the thing. Like they could have been like they could have come up with some explanation as to why he was preserved in there for a hundred years. And I feel like. When a movie loses you like that, like mm -hmm. for an instant where you have to judge or question its logic. Uh, I know Jake had this issue with us. And I think that there's certain things where like as a film goer, you try to be lenient with the movie and work with it and try not to sure. be like, I understand this is a, a work of art. Someone created it. There's reasoning behind it all. But as a viewer, as a narrative storytelling audience member, as I'm watching it, I you cannot get past certain things. You know what I mean? And as the movie progresses, you you start going, but I really kind of want to know how are they going to explain this at some point? Why they left his body right. in there for a hundred years? And he just randomly woke up randomly yeah. one point. So, and again, it's a ridiculous premise. This is like questioning the car crashes in fast and furious, but those work in the world of fast and furious. <laughs> this yeah, just yeah. bothered me. Um, but that being said, so just to round up my review though, I thought the film was actually, it was it was pretty good. And I say pretty good because I think Rogan's performance is absolutely brilliant. I mean, like he does a great job playing both characters. And there are some really, really interesting uh, emotional meat in the movie. If I, if I could use that word, like it's 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 a layered film. It's it's it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a film that has a lot to say about social media, about the world, about the way we view people. And I think at the end of the day, Rogan does deliver a very good, solid emotional performance as both characters. Um, I just didn't love the direction that it went in with the competition aspect of it. And that's mm -hmm. all I would really say about it. I, I just didn't I don't know. I didn't like that part. So for me, it's like gorgeously shot the four by three in the beginning and then the wide shot out into the present day. Very cool stuff. And Jake and I were texting earlier the visual effects and how they actually put this thing together. I mean, Rogan shot the entire film with the beard, then went back and shot the entire movie again with the shaved face. And then one thing he told me today in the interview, I was telling you guys this over text. I said to him, I was like, well, what happened if you needed a pickup shot for your beard stuff and you already shaved it off? He goes, there was a 15 second bit in the film that I wanted that I wanted to get in there. 
So I had to grow my beard out for 10 months straight to film a 15 second part in the film. Oh, my God. Wow. That's and crazy. That, the dedication that goes into the pr- uh, production and, the and you know, it's very well done from a production standpoint. Mm-hmm. I just didn't think the story was that great. So I understand what you guys are saying. Um, I was just so blown away by his two. Like, I'm glad you singled out his performances Amazing. because I had I had actual disconnect um, in forgetting that it's the same actor. Yeah. Like the the one character, Herschel, who's hundreds, uh, 100 years old, theoretically, um, and Ben, who he plays now, who's so modernized. Like, that's the joke, you know, of, of how different they are. And their performances are so good off of each other that I can't wrap my brain around the fact that it's Seth Rogen playing off of himself. Rogen said that because I asked him today, I was like, what? Like, you know, you're playing multiple characters in the film, like over the course of the history of movies. Like, what are some of your favorite performances by an actor who plays multiple characters? And one of the things that the one that I will go to always is Nutty Professor. No question Mm -hmm. him around the table. And his go to was was funny enough, was coming to America. And he said that when he saw coming to America for the first time, he didn't realize that Eddie Murphy was like playing the barbershop the character. Right. The he had barbershop. no idea. Like he said, he like he like like you just said, the disconnect yeah. where you, like, you yeah. can't believe it's the same person. And right, you actually right. until the credits roll. And like for me, that was Army Hammer in Social Network. Yeah. When that movie ended, I didn't know that there were two one person playing two people. I thought it was right. two actors who just happened to be twins. That's, and there's a bit yeah. in the beginning of American Pickle where if they did more of this, I think it would have been funny. I don't want to give away all the jokes in the movie, but there's one point where Herschel, after he gets woken up out of the brine, has to go before like a news conference. And he says, yeah. like in his narration, he's like, the scientist explained it to, to the everybody. And they don't tell you what the scientist said, but they cut to the journalists and they're all like, oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> and there's a funny way to just explain, like. Hey, we're not going to give you answers. But like, see, this okay, is just but, a goofy comedy. And, and, and see, to, to Kevin's point, but the, my, my issue with the movie is that it doesn't follow through. It doesn't logically think out the premise. Like to me, like, like, okay, I like if the premise of the movie is he was like pickled for a hundred years and then they found mm-hmm. him like, is it ridiculous? Of course. But like, that's the premise of the movie. So I'm going to go with it. Sure. But then it just, to me, it doesn't logically follow that premise. There are things that happen later in the plot that you sort of go like, well, that, doesn't make like everyone just sort of forgets that yeah. that happened to him. Yeah, and he's, why was he the most famous person? Yeah, on the exactly. Planet. He would be the most famous person on the and then he <laughs> does things that people get upset about, and he says things that are inappropriate. You know, yeah, yeah. this or that, but no one seems to remember. He's from freaking 1920. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't know. All right, he doesn't fine. like. And so that that was my issue. And and I part of me was like, oh, you're overthinking this. And then part of me was like, no, like like I yeah. I subscribe to your premise. I subscribe yeah. to your theory. But the the movie has to make logical sense from that yeah. theory. From that Jake's premise. right. The film doesn't subscribe to its own logic. That's yes, that's right. the that's the biggest issue. Is that yes. like we're not we're not being persnickety yeah. film nerds here. We like we watch Back to the Future. We understand they're going back in time and it's explained within the exposition of the dialogue yeah. and we buy sure. into it. I'm not saying yeah. it's not, you know what I mean? So for this one, it was like, like yeah. Jake's saying, it's like it, it, it distracted me so much that it actually took me out of the film throughout the rest of the movie and made me start wondering yeah, where like, they were going to explain this. Two, two people take a, a not, not to give too much away, two people take a video of him that ends up going viral. 
And it just goes viral because of the content of the video. At no point does anyone say, hey, isn't that the guy that was like pickled for a hundred years? That's what Lauren kept saying. Is no one (laughs) addressing the fact that like we found a dude that was pickled for, and then the world just sort of forgot about him. (laughs) And then we just moved on. And then when he came back into the news cycle, like, 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 like he keeps coming back into the news cycle, like later on throughout the movie. And no one addresses the fact that he's from 1920. (laughs) Everyone just forgets. Yeah. Think about the logic. If someone woke up a hundred years later, like Captain America style, right? And like, and uh, that would be one of the biggest news stories in the world. Yet you have this guy walking through the streets of New York City and no one knows who he is. That, that is, and it's so weird because Jake, I feel like you and I on the other side of this argument, if we had friends who were like, saying these persnickety things about movies you go come on man no but terminator but, terminator can't do this and you know people can't rise out of liquid metal and become there's a, there's a difference because there's, a difference. There's, there's the premise and there's following through with the premise like yep. your premise can be ridiculous but yep. you but but for everything beyond that premise has to make logical sense to the premise itself it's exactly right. how i felt so uh, none of us have seen this new documentary but we want to put it on your radars for various reasons it's called howard um, it's a documentary that's coming to Disney Plus. It'll be there starting August 7th. It is about, uh, you said it's an Alan Menken documentary. Well, it's, it, well it's, not, it's not about Alan Menken. It's about a guy that worked with Alan Menken in creating like some of the most iconic Disney songs and music of all okay. time. But okay. Apparently he worked, from, from what my understanding is, he worked hand in hand with Alan Menken. And if okay. you know Alan Menken, you know him as like, I mean, he, he, if you grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, he wrote the soundtrack to your childhood. He, he, Sean, did you do Beauty and the Beast, Junket? No, I did not. Was the, he there? Sh- How did old ever, do you think he is? No, no, the new one. Oh, the, the new, new one. <laughs> Dude, let me tell you. The uh, 1950s uh, version. Only because you mentioned Megan, and I can't yeah. wait to see Jake's interview with him, because like, to have like some time with him would be incredible. Um, this was so special to me. And again, I, I'm going off on a tangent only because I feel like it would be interesting um, but you're talking about Alan Menken and my mom and I danced to Beauty and the Beast, uh, Tales Oldest Time at my wedding, um, uh, which was a gigantic, gigantic song from my mom and I growing up. And when Disney did the junket for Beauty and the Beast, very similar to how Jake, you and I did the Frozen 2 junket, mm-hmm. they had Alan Menken at a piano. And when you walked in, have I ever explained this on the show before? I'm sorry no. if I have. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and you had Alan Macon on a piano. And when you walked in, they, 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 your interview was with him at the piano while he played you famous songs yeah. from like Beauty and the Beast. Which I was, did that with him here in Chicago when Aladdin yeah. came through. He, it, it's surreal. The amount of songs that guy's written. Yeah. So he, he, has, so, he has more Oscars than anyone alive. It's amazing. So it, he was cool enough. I, I, to, I asked Disney beforehand. My mom, they let me FaceTime my mom during the interview and he played the song for her over FaceTime. And it was like one of the most, it it was such a weird, crazy moment for me to be able to like give something back to my mom like that, because it was a Mm -hmm. priceless moment, right? Like to be able to sit there with the creator of of the song that my mom and I danced to at my wedding that we've loved since, you know, my childhood. And for him to, to play it right there over FaceTime and like, look at my mom and talk to my mom. It was a really cool thing, but I'm sorry. I didn't mean to go off on a tangent, but I know Jake's interviewing him, but I want to steal uh, just a quick analogy to that really fast to just put things into perspective of the the length that Kevin went to (laughs) as the parent on the show um, this past weekend. So PJ has a job. Um, He's working at Jersey Mike's and it's one of his first like actual jobs. And so for the first several weeks that he worked there, he wouldn't let us come by, which I get right. Like, 
what teenager wants their parents to come into the store kind of thing. Um, but this weekend, I finally said to him, like, dude, I'm coming in to get like dinner. Like, I'm I'm sick of not being able to eat subs that <laughs> at a place that you're making them. So the three of us went, Michelle and Brendan and I went and got to watch PJ make a sub. And it was the best sub I ever had because like yeah. I we brought we went home and Michelle was like, oh, my God, he was so professional and he made a sub. And I was so thrilled at this sandwich. Kevin got <laughs> the, the composer of a song that he and his mom danced to at a wedding and got him to do it over FaceTime. That's like here and, and yeah, way but over I, here. What I'm you 35 years old. Your son's 716 or something like that. But like, and he's amazing. outside the room right now and a single tear is rolling down his oh, cheek work. as he's as he's overhearing what you're it's saying. Really is at work. But, but what you just said is actually really interesting because at the end of the day, you can like, you know, celebrity this, celebrity that i had yeah. alan make it on facetime there's still something amazing that your son made a sandwich that you completed and he completed and you ate i mean that it's it's the same <laughs> analogy that i would give to like that kid watering dog shit in um in palm springs yes. it's the it's yes. the little things it's like like that wouldn't be something Makes that might mean it. a lot to like a to joe smith down the street but like to you to your son to, who's actually holding a job Who's yep. going to his job, who's being a responsible a teenager in the pandemic, yep. made a sandwich that you are now consuming as a parent, and he's out making money and then coming home. It's a There's big deal, else. man. Don't There's downplay that. Else. It's huge. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh call out my own ignorance for not realizing that the Howard documentary is about a guy named Howard Ashman, um, who is a American playwright and a lyricist whose credits include Little Shop of Horrors for which he was nominated for the Oscar. Uh, the Little Mermaid, Under the Sea and Kiss the Girl and all these songs. Uh, and no, he won Man- the Oscar. Oh, Mankin yeah. did the music and then this guy no, did but, the lyrics. But, but I thought they both did because Mankin won two Oscars apiece for Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Pocahontas. And then they changed the rules okay. so that uh, so, so that I guess that, that couldn't happen. So, that's okay. how, so he has eight Oscars, Mankin does. But I think he worked with this guy that they made the documentary about. Howard Ashman. And yes. so the Ashman's all the credits after Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin, essentially. And he, yeah. he got Oscar nominations posthumously for Friend Like Me. And uh, for he won for Beauty and the Beast. And then he got nominations for Be Our Guest and for Belle. So, I mean... We should know who this guy is. Mom, basically saying we should know who this guy is. And so his this documentary. is a classic case of like somebody like Alan Menken being the name. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, and then, I feel like that happens a lot in comics. Like there's Stan Lee and then like Steve Ditko. Jack Kirby. Steve really, Ditko. Yeah. yeah, Jack Kirby. Um, people who's, like who's the like for Batman? It's Bob Kane. And who's the other? There's like a second guy. It's Robin. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> i hate this show so much no you don't though it's no i i know who you're talking about yeah. it's um someone finger i think it's someone finger bill finger bill finger yes. thank you i knew i was right there at the tip of my tongue yeah. uh all right so august 7th on limited in limited theaters including some drive-thrus and also on vod is a comedy called i used to go here and we talked about this uh movie when chris ray was our guest on episode number 113 um, so go back and give that a listen because she was a fantastic interview. Uh, cute comedy. It's Gillian Jacobs, uh, who a lot of people know from Community. She's in a Netflix show called Love also. She plays a first-time author who is um, expecting to go out on a book tour, but the preliminary sales or the pre-sales for her novel are not good, and her publisher bails on the book tour. Uh, but she had already booked a trip to go back to her old college. Um, that was going to be one of the first places she would kick off. 
And she begins to realize how much more comfortable she was in the college setting. She starts to act a little bit below her age and bond with fraternity people and, um, you know, just gets herself into various troubles. But she's so damn charming. I just think she's a, a really uh, talented comedian and she has a great script to work with here uh, called I Used to Go Here. Did either of you guys catch up with that? Kev, did you watch it? I have not seen that. You haven't seen that one? It's really sweet. Um, I would check it out now that it's coming to VOD. Uh, starting on August 7th. And again, go check out Chris Ray. Because one of the things Chris Ray talked about in our interview at the time was it was right as the pandemic was really kicking into gear and being uncertain about uh, where it was going to play. And, oh, she was going to go to South by. That was the thing. She had a spotlight um, uh, slot and at the South by Southwest Film Festival. And she really got candid about how much uh, up and coming filmmakers rely on a festival like that to shine a spotlight on your film and help you get more distribution. And so I thought that was a really fascinating um, conversation. And I'm really glad that that film got picked up and is going to get some form of uh, distribution so people can check it out. So that's called, I used to go here. Uh, She dies tomorrow. That's Amy Simons's film. Obviously we talked about that with her. I want to get to also August 7th, um, a director who we are hoping to get on the show sometime soon, which is David Ayer. And he has a new movie coming out called the tax collector. Um, Tax Collector, I thought was, I'm not going to say really good. I thought it was good. Uh, I, I, I liked it. I liked where it was going. I liked the characters. I probably liked the characters a little bit more than I liked the overall story. Um, and it's similar to what David Ayer has done in the past, but also different. I say it's similar because it's set in the world of Los Angeles crime, uh, specifically Latina gangs. Um, it introduces this character, and this is where I found to be the most interesting, played by Bobby Soto, um, who is a full-blown family man, uh, husband, father, uh, and the movie spends a lot of time with him in that element. And then he um, gets together with his friend, who's played by Shia LaBeouf, and the two of them go out for their job, and their job is just to collect money from the various uh, gangs, the drug dealing gangs and the crime gangs. And um, and take their cut of the money that they're owed, essentially. And you just see some horrifically violent, uh, intimidating stuff from them when they're out in the road. And then this guy has to come back home and sort of balance that life as a career criminal. And 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 of course, you know, for the dramatic effect, there's competition that comes in. And how can he protect uh, his family and and how can Shia sort of stand up for him? And uh, I have you watched it, right? I did. Yeah. I thought it really found its gear after like 40 minutes. Yeah. It took me a little while to figure out what it was. And then I, I and then the back half of it seemed to really take off for me. I mean, you bring up an interesting thing to me. I, I love the first 40 minutes. Oh, really? Um, so because to me, I like the juxtaposition between a guy waking up in his house with his family and uh, just a very seemingly, quote unquote, normal lifestyle and then because the, the entire first 40 minutes in the film is, is just one day. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves his house and then you get to go on this journey through his other world, um, which is just extremely fascinating because they're so completely the opposite. And then as the film kind of comes into it, its own, you realize that his home life is still connected somehow to his street life. Um, and I mean, Bobby Soto, I thought like he played the character with such an interesting vulnerability, yet a very severe intensity. Um, that's a really hard balance to find because the guy is very, uh, he's very understanding, right? The character is very understanding in a world where not a lot of people are understanding. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he just found that, that, that 
I don't know that that vibe to me was really well done. Uh, and Shia was LaBeouf was completely unrecognizable. I mean, his ears didn't. Did he have like MMA ears or something like that? Do you notice like they the, did look swollen? Yeah, it was like 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 you ever see like an MMA fighter? Who, I don't know what it's called, but like their ears cauliflower, are like cauliflower. Yeah. Yeah, cauliflower. and like yep. I would know. I wanted to ask about. I wanted to ask David Ayer why, uh, the choice of that because Shia's ears aren't like that in real life, right? That, no, because no, no. So they was, look put on. So I was just wondering, interested to know. Like clearly, there was some backstory given there. Shia LaBeouf's character in Tax Collector is a very interesting character because there's really no arc for him. He's just him straight through. That's a really tough mm-hmm. thing to do as an actor. Not give yourself an arc in an hour and a half long film because. Basically, this guy knows exactly who he is and he's ready to go out whenever he's ready to go out. That's that. He says that in the trailer, he's like, he goes, I'm ready. He said, basically, he's like, I'm ready to die. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm here to do what I need to do. And, I, and, and I'm, when I die, it's my turn to go. And I felt like that was a really interesting character to play because there's really no emotional range for him. He's just this guy. And it's very dark, very violent, very brutal. Dude, one it's of one most of the most brutal violence. All hell, yeah. I've it's seen very it violent. a long time. Yeah. Did you get the impression that Air was a little bit freed up from maybe like knowing it wasn't going to go to theaters because it is vicious? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it's an interesting question because I, I, it is very violent. <laughs> it's like real. I mean, Training Day had its moments. And I, I know that was Fuqua, and then Air wrote it, but it is it's it's nasty like really yeah. gory like very brutal like imagine the gore you saw on that show the boys but in a very serious tone oh wow like uh drama like yeah. the, the the violence is that explosive like that gross that like loud and nasty and but in the midst of a drama versus a boys show where it's a little bit more on the comedic side slash yeah. drama it really hits you harder um the violence cuz it's so much more brutal and the one thing Tax Collector did for me also um, is it made it feel like uh, crime and the threat of crime is only like one step removed from wherever you are in Los Angeles. Like it almost felt like it had permeated every aspect of the city where there's almost like no safe place you could go. And I kind of wonder if that's how, how other cities are also um, where, you know, you often say like, Oh, there's a certain area of the city where you probably shouldn't go to because it's crime ridden or it has a lot of problems. Certain area, certain (laughs) David areas. Um, I don't know. I just got the sense that in Tax Collector, the crime had seeped into almost every level of Los Angeles. And so I really I do hope we get him on the show because I would love to talk uh, in depth about Tax Collector. And um, also people who haven't seen End of Watch. Highly mm-hmm. recommend End of Watch. Obviously, um, his amazing script for Training Day. I mean, he is uh, uh, Fury was fantastic. Fury I mean, he re- I, I I think uh, Shia's performance in this film was the one that really I was. And I thought Bobby Soto incredible. was great though. I thought he was fantastic. He is really good. Yeah. And I I feel bad because David Ayer is getting a lot of heat because people think Shia is the lead, and they're saying, um, right. you know, hey, as a filmmaker, you have an opportunity to cast. Uh, a, a person of color in your lead. And David Ayer's like, I did. Like Bobby Soto is the lead. And Shire actually plays like there's a, a, a type of person in Los Angeles that was born, born white, but grew up around Latina gangs and almost emulates them to a certain extent. And there's a term for it that David Ayer uses all the time. And David Ayer's like, Shire is not pretending to be, he's not playing a, a Spanish character or a Mexican character. He's a, a, a gringo, he calls him. He's a gringo who just has been around gangbangers all his life. He's a environment. He, yeah. he, is, he, is, he is what he grew up in. Like, and, and it's a really interesting point that you say that because 
I, I when the film first started, I said to myself, "Oh my gosh, is Shia LaBeouf going to get in trouble for this character?" Yeah. And it's it, it and it's quickly understood that he grew up in an environment that 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 that's that's who he is. He just that that's how he speaks. That's how that's how he gets around. And it's a very it's a very interesting point because I I was a little concerned. I was like, "Are they going to go after?" Shia LaBeouf for this because like but yeah it's, that that's the point of the character he just was raised there it's definitely but, worth seeing just for the character yeah. work alone I would yeah. say check it out um so let's that's uh that's everything that's coming to streaming over the the next couple of days so let's get to this week's blend game and we want to leave some time to let this breathe as well too because we're gonna have to have some explanations we're playing hashtag movie genre blend so uh, it's a twofold thing. You have to tell us what your favorite movie genre is. And then within that genre, you have to tell us what your favorite film of that type is. And, um, you know, we have the freedom to go in any sort of different direction that we want to go in. And so I'll start with uh, I'll start with Kevin. Kevin, tell me your favorite movie genre and then the movie that represents that genre so well. I feel like. 90s action movies is that a is that a proper Ooh. genre yes of okay, course cool. it could be a genre because it implies a certain type of movie i like yeah. it the 90s action movies were that was my favorite time of cinema i mean like it's you're talking nick to cage dude nick cage in his prime um <laughs> to be honest with you, there's i could go through a zillion movies within this uh, area. I just rewatched Broken Arrow the other day, which actually oh, really I love Broken Arrow. Really held up, man. Yeah. John Woo style. Yeah. Um. I, also, I forgot that John Travolta is basically playing his Castro Troy character. Yeah. In in Broken Arrow, like when yes. he switches to Castro Troy, it's the exact character. Um, Did you see the meme that said? Uh, <laughs> That Nick Cage is going out with a ma- if Nick Cage can go grocery shopping with yeah. a mask on, then so can you. Yeah. And it was Travolta. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. funny, actually. I'm not gonna that's lie, funny. that's pretty good. People <laughs> on the internet, man, there's some really clever people out there. Um, no, but I this this era was a big deal for me because I was eight years old when I saw Terminator Two for the first time. I'm not gonna give Terminator Two because that's that's just too much of a default answer for me. Uh that would be my number one action film, but I guess that falls more sci-fi, but it's still a big blockbuster action film from the nineties. But that film was 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 the reason I fell in love with cinema, but it was that movie that also made me fall in love with Arnold. Um so I actually went back and watched a lot of obviously his eighties stuff. But Arnold in the nineties not only did you have Terminator 2, you had True Lies, which was one of the greatest action films ever made. Uh, the chemistry between him and Tom Arnold. So just like going through all these different action movies in the 90s, you know, that's kind of what really made me really love movies at that point in my life. I mean, I was eight or nine or 10 years old, right when 92, 93. And then I'm seeing Die Hard with a Vengeance in 95. And just that like that 90s style of action uh, really normally infused with comedy, right? So you have Bad Boys 1 in that era. You have, um, you know, Armageddon, I would put under this category. It's an action film from the 90s. I mean, there's just so many films that mean so much to me that came from that decade of time that fall into the action category. Um, the ultimate one for me, no questions, Face Off. Uh, Face Off is a film that I know for a fact there was a point where I'd seen it 45 times. I kept count <laughs> because I, I had the VHS and I still have the VHS today that, and my uncle Steve would make fun of me constantly. Every time he would come to visit me from New York, he would say, what's the best movie ever made, Kevin? I'm like, face off. Like he just kept like, <laughs> he was clearly making fun of me because I mean, I, I was, you know, I was 13 years old and I thought face off was the greatest movie ever made. Like, you know, it was my citizen Kane, you know? Um, but face off was, 
Face Off was that beautiful combination of brilliant performances from brilliant actors stuck in a really insanely crazy storyline that really ended up working somehow. Speaking of logic, you, know, you go back to our conversation earlier about American Pickle. You know, I don't I don't sit there and question the face being transferred. It's it's all right there because the they take it and they run with it. <laughs> right, they, Like they, everything they, post that makes sense right. to the premise. And so it's funny because like uh, uh, when the tenant trailer dropped, the, the newest tenant trailer, there's a, a moment at the end of the tenant trailer where Pattinson's talking about a plane crashing into a hangar. My first thought when I saw that image was face off. And if you remember the beginning of face off, when Nick Cage is, you know, they're on that runway after he takes out his two gold guns and, you know, they're going towards that hangar. And it looks like the exact same explosion and shot from Tenant. I mean, like John Woo did it in 90, you know, 97, whatever Face Off was. But Face Off was one of those movies where I just quoted it on a daily basis. You know, ooh, we, you good looking, you hot. You know, like all the lines and ooh, we, what a predicament. Uh, you know, the, I, I could seriously walk you through the dialogue between Castor Troy uh, in prison with his brother Pollux Troy. And then there's that entire storyline of you know when Travolta comes to visit him in the prison and he walks in and he has the newspaper in his hand. I mean that movie is perfect '90s action. I mean there is an amazing sequence that is so John Woo and obviously you have the doves flying everywhere, the beach, Always and then there's doves. the funeral sequence. And you know that era of filmmaking was so awesome because it was all practical too. I mean back then you're 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 really doing these action scenes. You have squibs, you have real explosions. Um I saw Face Off so many times that I started picking up on the problems with it. There like there is literally a guy on there a wire being dragged back yes, in an explosion. Yeah. And it's very obvious. Um <laughs> but but honestly man like John Woo that era like John Woo introduced me to an entire different style of action. Like I went back and like found like hard boiled. I went back and found the killer. I went back and you know obviously I, I saw uh you know, uh, Broken Arrow. And then I became a big Chow Yun-Fat fan from mm -hmm. from those films, from like Better Tomorrow and The Killer and Hard Boiled. Then I found The Replacement Killers, which John Woo didn't direct. But another, you know, highly stylized 90s style of action movie. I think that was Mira Sorvino and um, Chow Yun-Fat were in that film as well. And mm -hmm. to me, like that is the ultimate era personally. I mean, then you got to go to The Rock. I mean, you're talking Michael Bay at his Peak. That movie is a masterpiece. I mean, there, there are so many films that everybody on this podcast can agree that were quintessential to that era. And that's why I like the 90s style action genre the best, because it blended comedy, action, great performances. I think Face Off ultimately will be my favorite movie out of that genre, minus Terminator 2. <clears throat> wow. Tremendous pick. Wow. Uh, just an absolutely tremendous pick. And I'm going to build on that slightly. Because my genre is uh, buddy cop films. And I think a lot of people have, uh, they know that my favorite film of all time is Die Hard. But this is going to give me a chance to celebrate what, what would be my second favorite uh, film along those lines. And that's the first Lethal Weapon. The first Lethal Weapon to me is a perfect, perfect film. Um, and it's one of those movies where when you watched it, or when I watched it the first time, I didn't realize how good it was because I just like everything works in that movie. And it's not until years later when you go back and analyze it, like when you start to put together, like, why does this work so well and how come it fits together? So it takes the two archetypes that the buddy cop genre often does, which is just opposites that have to figure out how to work together. 
But you get um, Danny Glover, who's just so pitch perfect as the disgruntled, you know, angry, uh, older cop. And Mel Gibson being perfectly cast as the uh, not it's it's like don't follow the rules cop kind of thing versus the the rule follower. However, because it's Shane Black um, in an early script of his and Shane Black being one of the best screenwriters that we have, he makes Riggs this um, uh, psychologically broken suicidal cop and you have to wonder if he's faking it in order to get uh dispensation from the from the uh police department or is he actually crazy and if he's actually crazy how how can uh murtaugh trust him essentially when you're supposed to establish some type of bond then you get uh gary Busey as the person who they're going up against who is also like a green beret so he and riggs are, are perfect killing machines going in going up against each other and then there's this terrific hook in the middle of Lethal Weapon that when you look at screenplays, you think um, you need something to push the action forward, but it, it it has to be earned. And there's a moment where in the middle of Lethal Weapon, you're totally on board with these two uh, as opposing cops. But sometimes that's all that a buddy cop will come up with. They'll come up with two opposing people, but they don't give them a really good story. So there's a moment in the middle of Lethal Weapon where years later, I realized I was like, oh, this is what makes this movie genius. Um, Roger is talking to one of his old Vietnam War buddies, and the guy is about to tell him what the whole scheme is. And it involves heroin that's coming into the docks. And Murtaugh is essentially saying to him, like, you got to tell me who your people are. Tell me who your suppliers are. And the guy doesn't get to tell him in time before he gets shot. He gets assassinated. But the bad guys think that the cops know. And so for the rest of the movie, the cops literally don't know what's happening. They don't know the story, but the but the bad guys think they are. So they're constantly bringing all this heat down on them to say, like, don't disrupt our plan. Don't disrupt our plan. But if they just left the cops alone, the cops wouldn't be able to disrupt their plan because they don't know what it is. And the way that that escalates and builds and builds and builds to the cops, they keep going back to this one line where they're going to investigate somebody and they say, oh, it's probably thin. And then it turns out they're right. They're dead on with what they're investigating, but they keep making the joke that it's thin. And that makes me laugh all the way through. But there's so many amazing lines in the Lethal Weapon screenplay that are so subtle that you don't even pick up on them until you've watched it a million times. Because my favorite is in the um, they're, they're at a shooting range and they're blasting holes through the targets. And Riggs makes a shot that's just an impossible shot. Uh, like right between the eyes of the target. And Danny Glover looks at me, goes, well, you sleep with that thing under your pillow. And Riggs says, I would if I slept. And it's just it tells you everything you need to know about those two guys. Um, I love the way that the end escalates to the point where uh, it, it, they're every man. They're, they're regular cops who are being tortured. Riggs is hanging from the from the um, chain and he's wet. And the guy and he tells uh, Gary Busey says, Mr. Endo knows more about dispensing pain than you and I have ever known uh, or has forgotten more about dispensing pain than you, you and I will ever know. And then they cut to Danny Glover and he's getting salt pour, poured into his wound. Like these are just things that stick with you forever. And so every element, every aspect of Lethal Weapon stands out to me as just a perfect movie, an amazing screenplay, the best casting. I feel bad that they kept going back to the well to try and replicate that chemistry and make I, more. I still like the Lethal Weapon sequels, though. Like, all the way through four. Like, I still Dude, like... I, I still think they're good, and I like four. 
I like four. Four is amazing. They're fine. Yeah, four okay, has okay, a great okay, fight. Okay, okay, okay. Four has an amazing fight on the That's pier. That's my Joe Pesci. The fight on the pier it. is unbelievably good. Um, Gabe, why are you laughing? That was a great Joe Pesci. They can't top It's the also one. your Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> no, Quentin Tarantino is slower. Okay, okay, okay. Joe okay. Pesci is faster. Okay, 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 okay. So I, I, I pick buddy cop films and, uh, and I pick Lethal Weapon. That's my great favorite one. Favorite film from the favorite genre. Jake, close us off. Um, my favorite genre for me, it's sort of a, like a kind of a warm, I mean, we, I know we talked about warm blanket, but like, I love just sitting down with it and just kind of enjoying it uh, on like a Sunday afternoon is a like creature feature. Mm. Um, Jaws, Alien, The Thing. Um, I, I, it, cause it's one of those things where I love, I was, I was going to do just do horror in general and you guys got real specific. So then I kind of started thinking about, it. but the thing about like, like a horror movie obviously can be so heavy that sometimes you're like, okay, and I'm not, I'm not sure if I really want to see just like people just horribly obliterated, but there's something fun about when it's like a creature, when it's a yeah. monster that just kind of takes that heaviness out of it so that I can get what I want from the horror genre, but don't have to feel guilty about like watching just people inflict pain upon another person. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. A lot of times it's sort of, you get what you deserve. Like you, like you mess with an alien on an alien planet. You're going to get like, you're going to get the, you know, the thing shot through your head. The alien's not the villain in alien. Oh, I, I can't do this. I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't. I just but can't. It it's the mayor of the spaceship. <laughs> I can't. The I, the I genuinely can't. Get the Thank governor. You. Come on, Gabe. Thank get it right. I genuinely can't. I tell you what, one of us gets to be in the room with one and one of us gets to be in the room with the other. Like if, if, if you don't, if you don't think the alien or the sharks, the, then you hang out with those people because if they're totally fine and you let me know how that works out for you, I'm not going to do this. Wait, Jake, wait, Jake, who's the bad guy in alien versus predator? <laughs> the, whoever wrote it. <laughs> Freddy versus Jason was a good one. Who's the bad I guy? I like Freddy versus Jason. Who's the bad guy in Freddy versus Jason? Well, it's clearly written to be Freddy, and then they make, which is the stupidest thing. Anyway, I just, I love sort of like the the late 70s, early 80s sort of creature feature. Jaws is probably, I don't know, like, I guess Jaws, if you would consider it to be the creature. Sure. I, I find great comfort in horror. It sounds, it's as weird as it sounds. I was, my, my sister loved, and my, my family just loved horror movies. Uh, when I was a kid growing up and my sister would get so scared that she would force me to watch them with her because she wanted to watch them. but didn't want to watch them alone. So I grew up like watching these movies, especially like the 80s slasher. Like I had a goldfish named Jason after Jason Voorhees at the age of like six. Um, disturbing. Oh, it was super disturbing. Like, like when other kids were dressing up as Power Rangers, I dressed up as Freddy Krueger. Um, yeah. Like, you know, I've got literally, I literally have a Freddy Krueger glove hanging on my wall. Dude, um, do you know my, my eighth grade project? So in eighth grade, you had yeah. to take on a project that took the entire year. You had to do all the research for it. And mine was on um, horror movie makeup and how it was done. That's awesome. With like carrot syrup, like pancake yeah. syrup and... And I remember turning it into my uh, teacher at the end of the year. And she was just like, what is the matter with you? Like it had all these great visuals from amazing horror films that I just grew up on and loved. So. Oh, when I was and I feel like this story will exemplify how much I love sort of like creature features. Um, when I was in second grade, we had an assignment to like write a story that involved our classmates. And then especially and it, like it could involve classmates from other classes, you know, in, in second grade. So it's a small southern you know, country town school. So there's only like five second grade classes mm. and we, we would get sent to different classes to read them in front of the class and so i wrote a story about how me and my classmates were on a boat in the middle of nowhere and a killer squid started chasing us and would like <laughs> kill us off one by one yeah. and i like and i would put different like kids from different classmates so that like as kids were listening they would try to discover wait am i on the boat and do i make it to the end and these 
Uh, and so like I was only meant to go read it to one class and the teacher would just sit there going like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so much so that she goes, okay, I know you're only supposed to just read it to my class, but go next door and read it to that class too. <laughs> and I ended up going to all five classes and the kids were just sitting there like, am I on the boat and do I make it? And like, That's if funny. one of them, like one of the kids found out that like he got eaten by the squid, he'd be like, no. Or if like one of the kids like found out that they made it to the end, they would like cheer. And I remember getting back to my, my, my original second grade class and my teacher was like, where have you been for like the last 90 minutes? And I was like, oh, I got sent on a tour to read the story. <laughs> and they called my parents and they're like, your son wrote a story where he killed off half of the second grade class on a boat by the squid. So like, I have loved like the whole like creature feature thing. Um, you know, like I said, it gives me the joys of horror without the guilt of uh, human to human uh, a horrible infliction pick, of pain. It. Oh, What's Joss. Pick? Joss. Oh, Joss. Yeah. I didn't know. Was that clear? Joss. Well, I watch it. Well, but also, like, I didn't want to, like, do Because I've talked about Jaws so much on this on this podcast. I didn't want to go off about how much I love Jaws. But, yeah, Jaws is probably Jaws. And, you know, depending on whether or not, like, Creature needs to be a monster. If, if in your eyes, Creature needs to be a monster, like a fictional monster, then I would probably say Alien. Fair enough. I'm watching that Spielberg documentary. It's on HBO. Oh, it's so never- good. So I never caught I, up. I still it. have it. I, I left it on my DVR because I watch it maybe about once a year. It's so good. I could listen to him talk yeah. about anything. Um, and we just we stopped it right after he was talking about the Schindler's List yeah. Jurassic Park oh. one two punch. Oh. And it reminds me, Kevin, please watch Schindler's List. <laughs> I mean, you have to you got to make time to watch Schindler's List. But him talking about Jaws and the mistakes of yeah. shooting it at sea. And I mean, it was like 100 days over. <laughs> over oh did you know and to, well you do know this because you watched the documentary like lucas had to convince the studios to give him a shot on raiders mm-hmm. because by the time he'd done jaws close encounters in 1941 and he was way over budget and way over time on all three of those yep. that they were essentially like no we're not gonna take an investment on this yeah. kid <laughs> this kid spielberg love it did you ever did you see that story that's been going around recently about how it's not in the documentary about how um hitchcock would never meet spielberg in person yes I thought, yeah, well, that's, a, that's an incredible story. He was the shark. Yeah, he was, he was the boy. voice for people that don't know what I'm talking about. There's a story that came yeah. out and someone asked, like, I guess because obviously like Spielberg was obsessed with Hitchcock and really wanted to meet him. Hitchcock would never meet Spielberg. Yeah. And at one point they asked him, why? Why won't you meet this kid? He's obsessed with you. And apparently he's like, Hitchcock said, Universal paid me to be the voice of, of the Jaws ride. And like I needed the money. So I said yes. So if I meet him, he's just going to be a constant reminder of like I, the fact that that time I sold out and uh, and he's like, I just I don't, I don't want to face him because like I sold out to make money as the voice How of the Jaws. Could Hitchcock ride. ever need money? Like in what world did that man not make enough money? Well, off probably of because films? he didn't do, um, you know, like a premium version of his movies. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. $5 a month. Real Premium, by the way. It's a little, little plugola for that. Uh, audience picks. Okay, so Stephanie Delise says uh, action is her genre and Die Hard being her favorite. I'm giving you a, a round of applause for that one because that's absolutely correct. Uh, Aiden Erdahl says crime is his favorite genre and he'll take uh, either crime drama or crime thriller with his favorite being taxi taxi driver. Excuse me. Uh, Vicky Edwards, who we met at the DC Blend yeah. meetup. Yeah. Says rom-com is her favorite genre and love actually is her favorite choice. Michelle Garrist, who uh, participates via the email realblendedcinemablend.com, says fantasy is her favorite genre and she chooses The Princess Bride uh, being the best and favorite example of what she likes in a rom-com. And Harry Lichtman, who we also met at the DC meetup, says he loves comedies and airplane 
being his favorite. So who did we um we met someone at the DC meetup who yes. just announced today that he got a job with the NFL. Oh, that's Raj. Yeah. Um yeah. Raj. Congratulations, who, uh, Raj. Who also came to the Chicago meetup, I think, too, because I think he was at Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Really wow. good dude. Well, that's yes. awesome. Yeah, he just announced today he got a job at the NFL, which is got fantastic. A job at the NFL. Fantastic. And moving out to Los Angeles. Yeah. So kudos, my friend. Good luck to you. Don't forget um, about us. Next week, reach out on Twitter using hashtag. Oh, see, I mentioned her earlier in the show. Gave way to tie it back around. Hashtag Regina King blend. Oh, we're going to celebrate the films of Regina King. Uh, And can we use Watchmen? You're muted. I think with actors, with performers, I think we can start bringing in TV because prestige TV is just too big now. Yeah. All right. Well, like, I mean, like, if, if we were to do Cranston performers blend, specifically to, to not say Breaking Bad would just seem. Ridiculous. Yeah. What are you going to pick? The one where right. he was the father to uh, James Franco? Yeah, he got an Oscar nomination. Thank you very much. Yeah. Who did what? Cranston. For Argo? For Trumbo. Trumbo. For Trumbo? Yeah. I love Trumbo. Trumbo. I saw Trumbo. <laughs> I like Trumbo a lot. It's a film. It I exists. don't remember it. You liked it? I don't remember. That it. was awesome. It I was liked like, it. Great, I actually liked story. I actually I felt like there was like a weird backlash to Trumbo when it came out. He was a communist screenwriter. Is that what it was? Yeah, but he, he wrote, he wrote yeah, Spartacus. He like, yeah, and he like, he like punched up. He punched up Spartacus, or he wrote Spartacus. Did he? Yeah. All right. Anyway, but like Trumbo. didn't get credit for it, right? I feel like every episode there's one movie I never expect to talk about, and this week's <laughs> uh, episode is Trumbo. I never would have thought we were going to bring up Trumbo. Uh, so anyway, you can reach out using hashtag Regina Blend, Regina King Blend, uh, on social media. You can email us at realblend at cinemablend.com. That's where you can also leave us reviews. Um, this review comes to us from Chris Hutton, who's been listening to us for a while now. Uh, Chris made us amazing uh, cutting boards back in the day. Yes. Real Blend cutting boards with... Uh, film quotes on them and he writes okay so he writes 100th review just so Sean can sleep now that was a while ago a because we've ago. been we've been past 100 uh, and Chris Hutton writes hey guys this is Chris Hutton I've already left your review from my phone but I just got done listening to your hashtag underrated 2000s blend episode and I heard Sean still moping about being stuck at 99 reviews so while my wife is still sleeping I grabbed her phone and I'm writing this just to get you to 100 now that's dedication I appreciate that uh, let me use this opportunity to say that I still love the show over all others I love the constant banter between you gents you're a blast to listen to few quick things Tenant will get pushed back, he says. All right, well, that's prescient. Uh, Kevin makes riddles with wordplay, not puns. The Rise of Skywalker is great. Please be quiet, Sean. Endgame is inferior to Infinity War. It's absolute blasphemy that you knocked it off Die like Hard someone's team for Jake. Endgame. Uh, you guys are awesome. Love this show and can't wait for, wait for more. Jake, I loved The Rise of Skywalker, so if you ever want to hop on my podcast... To have a fun talk about Star Wars, I'm down. Keep up the awesome work, gentlemen. Thanks for keeping the show going during this crazy world crisis. You're keeping us, you're keeping, helping keeping, you're help, excuse me. You're helping keep us sane. Never seen Dunkirk, but I own it. What? Well, I don't know if that's something to brag about necessarily. You own it. Put it on. Kevin watched it 10 times in theaters, for God's sakes. Take 90 minutes of your time. Kevin, is it long? Is it 90 minutes or is it longer? It's super it, short. His mind is just blown right now. It is really short. Yes. I, it's one of I Nolan's just, shortest films. There's life before Dunkirk. There's life after Dunkirk. <laughs> Come to the other side, man. Come to the other side.
Join us, Chris, please. Join us. Uh, We're all over here waiting for you, man. <laughs> all right. Uh, so we'll be back next week. Again, uh, Rublin Premium. We are very, very excited about the content that we are putting together for that endeavor. Uh, more details in the show notes of how that you can subscribe for Real Blend, Real Blend Premium and get more from your favorite Real Blend hosts. So in uh, the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's Takes, at Kevin, under, uh, Kevin McCarthy TV and Sean underscore O'Connell. Drop us a review on iTunes. Email us your picks for Regina King Blend, and I am all out of plugs. So until next week, Dunkirk. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.